Um, well, today I, I want to. Um, actually, Evie, can you throw me my phone? I made some notes. <laughs> I want to preach a message. Um, a, it's it's a super practical message. It's theological, um, but it gets practical. And then I think I want to. Well, I want to give you maybe the context of it. So. I'm a pastor's kid. I went to Bible college in Portland, Oregon. Um, I'm from Canada, from Ontario, unfortunately. <laughs> Are there any Canadians here? Okay. Well, there's no reason to cheer. <laughs> Just calm down. Canada is like, it's crazy up there right now. It's insane up there right now. I have to go up there on Saturday to see my family and I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> um, no, I, I, do love, uh, I do love Canada. I'm just sad about it. But, um, but anyhow, um, so uh, two years ago, my brother and my brother-in-law, we started a thing called Theos U. Uh, T-H-E-O-S-U dot C-A um, and basically um, it's a online theological platform. I was on staff at a church in New York City for eight years uh, for four of those eight years. I was there for eight years. Four of them I was leading worship and then four I, I was teaching as a teaching pastor and I was teaching this thing uh, called Evening College and basically I'd take uh, long form courses like you know, the book of Romans, uh, or class on Romans, which would maybe be 24 to 36 lecture hours at a Bible college, and I would dis, uh, distill them down to like 12 to 14 lecture hours, and we'd pack out a Lutheran church with a bunch of kids who never darkened the doorway of a church before, and we would go through uh, the book of Romans, and we'd Hebrews, you know, systematic theology, Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, stuff like that, life of Christ, whatever. Ecclesiology, um, and uh, and then when, uh, I left three years ago um, because I just it was one of those things. It's a Holy Spirit thing where I just felt like I was supposed to do something else. I didn't know necessarily what I was going to do, and I'd had I had about fourteen courses that I had written, and I just had this idea. My brother was doing the same thing at another church, and I'm like, what if we just you know created this online and you know charged people like a Netflix type thing, you know, like eleven bucks or whatever, and and just release new content and then partner with some other people who we really respect that are friends of our family, guys that we went to Bible college with. And so uh, we've been doing that for two years now. Uh, we have 5,000 subscribers all over the world. Um, yeah, it's cool. And, um, and about 1,500 of them are pastors, which is amazing. And we have a Every month we have what's called a hot topic. So we'll do a, um, like a two-hour lecture on something that is ticking me off on Instagram, basically. <laughs> you know, what, whatever, the, whatever the woke theologians are on about that month, I will create an apologetic for it. You know what I mean? So, so, so homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, abortion, divorce and remarriage, whatever it is, you know, like, and, and my goal is to, uh, is to give language 
and biblical, um, a biblical case for, you know, for whatever, if that makes sense. Like the doctrine of hell, which is like, you know, basically nobody believes in hell anymore. Um, if you're under the age of 40, right, like the chances are most people don't believe that God would punish anybody ever. You know, like essentially people under the age of 40 believe that God is a desperate boyfriend. And so <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Right? So, but, but why is it that they believe that? I think that for 20 years, we taught them that church was all about them. And so this message is, is um, I'm just kind of get I'm pulling back the curtains and I'm going, I'm going to preach a message that is just a super practical message, but uh, it's about trying to, <laughs> trying to recenter God. <clears throat> I believe that the church exists, and once again, this isn't a, this isn't a part of my message. I just want to kind of give, give, put a little framing. Um, I believe that the church exists to worship God, number one. You know, um, it, it amazes me when kids are like, you know, why, do we, why should we build buildings? I'm like, you know, they're a waste of money. I'm like, the, the New Testament is full of wasting things on Jesus' feet. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like the most basic thing ever. It's interesting where the critiques always come from, too. Like the guy that was stealing the campaign finances. So we have a, a lot of kids who are deconstructing because they never learned the purpose of the church to begin with. Right? So the church exists to worship God. That's, in fact, I exist. That's why I exist. Right? What's the chief end of man? Right? Like, it's the Westminster Catechism. But we don't teach catechisms anymore. And then we wonder why kids don't understand why the church exists. Right? So the church exists to worship God. That's, that's why it exists. Okay? Number two, it exists to equip believers, which I'm so thankful for this conference because like, we're in a time where we desperately need to you know, examine our, you know, our organizations and examine our catechisms and our discipleships. And um, I think that church membership is going to make a wild comeback in the next 20 years. I just do. Like... And I think that for my dad's generation, it was a major turnoff, right? Because it's just like, what are you doing? You're creating a club? You know, it's like, well, no. Oh, maybe we were. Yeah, we, we, were, we were creating a club. But now people don't know what they believe, right? And so discipleship, I'm thankful for, for you know, for, for Highlands and, their, and any, anything that we're doing to assimilate people and to teach them and stuff like that is fantastic. Um, but I think that that stuff is going to come back in a large way. Um, and then thirdly, to reach the world. And problematically, though, like that one has become number one. Right. So when you reverse the order of something, it's like now people are going, well, we're not reaching. You know what I mean? Like we're not just filled up to, you know, I've heard this said and there's an element of truth to this. Right. Like we're filled up to go out. Well, we're, we're, we come to worship Jesus just to worship him. And that's enough. That's literally enough. There's this passage. This is passage. This is not my part of my message. I'm wasting my message here. 
There's this passage in Ephesians 5, it's, it's, not, it's not there on the notes. Um, Ephesians 5, 16 and 19, Paul says this, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Okay, so just keep that in context. Make, make best use of the time, okay, be efficient. And then he says this in, in, right after it. He goes, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know what I mean? Like, make, make most of the time worship God. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So, uh, all right, let's talk about what we're going to talk about now. I've been married for, uh, I'll be married for eight years as of next month. <laughs> I'm married to Jasmine. She's Australian. Uh, we're getting to know each other. <laughs> Tim Keller says that it takes seven, like, this, there's a study about the year that people get divorced. I think it's like year seven. And uh, he speculates, and I think, I, I think he's right, that the reason why people get married in year seven is because, it, like, you can't manipulate somebody after seven years. I mean, some people really have that much power, and they can, but for most of us, like, we break the spell at year seven. We're, we're control freaks as human beings, and we like to project onto each other the idealized spouse. And, th and it takes seven years for that person to be like, I hate lasagna, I hate lasagna, I hate lasagna. And year seven, she wakes up and, she, and she's in shock. She's like, you, what? This is my Nona's recipe. I would never marry a man who hated lasagna. <laughs> you know what I mean? And at year seven, you're like, who are you? You lied to me. You're not the person that, which by the way, dating is lying. And you're, but you're discovering, and people change also, but like you're, dis, you're discovering each other, and at year seven, you're forced to like make a decision to either, you're gonna allow this person to self-define, and you're gonna live with that, the real person that you're married to, right? And you have to fall back in love with them, or you're just gonna move on and try to find somebody else to manipulate. So, we're there. <laughs> we're there, baby. It's been, it's been amazing. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm learning about relationship. I'm, it's, it's hard work, it really is. But I'm learning, um, I'm making baby steps, you know. Um, so, you know, they tell you in relationship, you're supposed to allow that person to, to self-define and, and, and you find out, right, you don't project onto somebody, uh, you allow them to self-define, it's how you get to know someone. And so you find out what they like and then you, you do what they like, right? And it sounds so simple, but it's so freaking hard. Um, so my wife is Australian, I'm Canadian. And I thought that that would be like a closer cultural gap. And I was so wrong. <laughs> uh, but uh, for example, 
um, so I'm paying attention, man. I'm paying attention to the things that she likes, you know, because I want to love Jazzy the way that she wants to be loved and, and find out who she is. And, and so, we're, so uh, she loves avocado toast, okay? In Canada, toast is essentially garbage. <laughs> like, <laughs> you'd go to a truck stop to get a breakfast in Canada. And you'd eat all the important stuff, you know, the, the back bacon and the eggs and, and, and maybe tomatoes and some mushrooms and maybe if you're lucky some baked beans or whatever. And then if you're still hungry, you'll eat the toast. And like, we'll put jam on it to, dis to, to, to disguise the taste of toast. <laughs> but generally, we don't eat the toast. We wipe our face with the toast and throw it on the ground because <laughs> it's garbage. <laughs> but in Australia, in Australia, Toast is a main feature. It's, it, is, it is the entree, right? And people will pay $26 for avocado toast. And so I'm, I, there's things that I, I don't understand culturally about jazz, right? I, and so I'm, I'm learning to, I wanna, and I wanna know her and I wanna love her authentically, so I'm paying attention. You know, my wife, um, I remember learning how much my wife really sincerely loves sushi. And you know, she'll, when my wife loves something, she'll roll her eyes into the back of her head. You know, so she'll eat sushi. The <laughs> <laughs> we were in New York a couple, a couple uh, last week, last week, and um, and she was like, oh, you know, so I can't wait. Okay, tomorrow morning we need to go and get a bagel with, you know, locks. And I'm like, you know, it's amazing that she keeps bringing this thing up. She really, really loves those things, you know? So I'm, I'm, it's, it hit me. Okay, like, I knew she liked it, but I didn't realize how she really, really, really likes it. So I'm paying attention, you know? And, um, and a relationship, man. You know, allowing, allowing her to self-define. God is a person. He's not an impersonal cosmic force. And so one of the things that I'm trying to teach Millennials and Gen Zers is that God is a God is a person and he has preferences people have preferences and we don't begrudge people their preferences their personal preferences, right? No, in, in fact, we, we in a good relationship you find out what the preference is and then you do and that's the whole of Christian worship Christian worship is finding out what God's personal preferences are and then getting on board Yeah So, and then on top of that, you know, you've, if you haven't been living under a rock, you've probably seen the religion versus relationship wars, you know, in, in Christianity, where it's like, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I'm like, okay, that's fine, but why, I, why do I feel like everybody who says it's not a religion, it's a relationship, is just somebody who, it, like, is in a manipulative relationship with God? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, dude, you know anything about a relationship? I'll take a religion any day over a relationship. No, a relationship is hard work, bro. You, you don't get to be, you know, like, and so our idea of a relationship with, Je with Jesus is like, you know, like we're in the driver's seat, you know, buckle up, Lord and Savior. That, that's, that's not how that works. There's things that you don't get to do in a relationship. You hearing me? <laughs> so, all right. 
let's go to our, our, our we have a number of scripture verses, so I want to get through them. So uh, let's, let's keep going here. Uh, let's get to our first, our first verse. Where are we? There it is. Okay. Psalm 141, verse 2. This is David, and he is, uh, scholars are like, I think this is one of the, the, the one where, you know, band on the run, where he's hiding from Saul, and he's writing songs about it. <laughs> and he's, um, you know, we know about David. He loves the tabernacle, right? And so he begins to kind of, pr- he's praying, he's praying this, this prayer about, man, I wish I could be with you, God. You know, that's the title of, this, of this, this one. And so he goes, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And he begins to pray through the tabernacle furniture because that's his, which is pretty cool. He's praying through the word of God, if you think about it. Um, so he's got, he's like, Lord, I can't be there right now. I can't be in the tabernacle, but could I be like that incense that, that is on that table right outside of the Holy of Holies, right? The curtains there and then incense. And he's like, I can't go in there, but I want to be right outside of it. Um, and obviously, this is prophetic because God's up in heaven going, that is exactly, book of Revelation, right? Prayers of saints. Uh, and then he says this, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Lifting up to my hands, the Hebrew word for hand is yod, to wave the, the, the hand. Uh, let's, let's leave it here. Uh, reverse. There we are. Well done, team. <laughs> and the lifting up of my hands, Hebrew word yod, uh, to, to wave the hand is to yada, uh, which you've, you've heard before, but probably not, in, but probably in the English transliteration, which is Judah. Judah, just, Judah mean, it came to mean praise, but it literally means to wave your hand like that. Um, so he's going, the lifting up of my, of my yod as the evening sacrifice, as in God, I know the things that you like. I know what you're into. You have preferences. You want me to bring stuff to you so that you could see that my heart is in this thing. Do you know what I mean? Like this costs me something, right? Like David's whole, I won't worship God if it costs me nothing, whole thing, you know, like. So, so, and it's specific. It's like, you specifically want these things, but God, would this suffice? I can't be at the tabernacle right now and I can't offer these sacrifices, but God, could I, the lift, would the lifting up of my hands be something that you delight in? And prophetically, God is like clapping hands in heaven going, yes, this is, I love hands. <laughs> All right, next verse in, in, the, in Hebrews. So the writer of Hebrews is going to, that, that's where this, this thought comes from. The, the, the author of Hebrews is copy and pasting Psalm 141. And he's addressing now worship, right? So I the book of Hebrews, really quickly, it's just about Jews who are thinking about leaving Jesus because of economic persecution. And some of the detractors of Christianity are saying, well, you don't even have a priesthood. You know, like, you don't even have a, a temple that you can touch. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't even have Moses and the Torah, which you can touch. You know, like, you have this invisible religion. And so, systematically, the author of Hebrews is going to go, well, Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than the priesthood. He's better than the temple. You know what I mean? Like, he just takes all that stuff down. Then the, the writer of Hebrews will go, okay, now, now, now that you know all this stuff, worship with boldness, and here's the way that you can worship. So we're in Hebrews 13, and, and so the writer is going to say, through him that is continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Most scholars believe that the reason why the Greek is so technical in Hebrews is because it was originally a, 
encyclical written to the Jewish community. It was written in Hebrew first. And so in, in the original text, it would be offer up a sacrifice of yada to God, right? Like we said. But where does sacrifice of praise come from? It comes from Psalm 141. So we know that already. And we know that David is saying the lifting of hands. So, right? So it's accompanied, obviously, by the fruit of lips, because we see that in Psalm 141, verse 2, that acknowledge his name and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, because with such sacrifices, God is, so, is well pleased. Okay, that's a mouthful. The, t the idea of sacrifice is like it's disappeared completely in many ways. And this is a New Testament concept, right? Because oftentimes we, our theology just needs a little help. So, so obviously there's a once and for all unique sacrifice that Jesus you know, himself was at the cross. Right, so, so we don't need sacrifices to cover sins or atone for sins anymore. That's, that's done. Does that make sense? But that doesn't mean that we don't still sacrifice. Because we're in a relationship with somebody who has preferences. And that person's going, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do I what? Fiddler on the Roof, that was for free. It's great. It's a great movie long but it's good okay let's let's keep moving here uh, next next passage Peter is going to begin to expound on this and he says you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood you're a priest not a Yelp reviewer R right so so I think one of the, the issues, one of the cultural issues that we're facing that is lending itself towards like radical deconstruction and, and, people, and people leaving church and we're in a crisis right now. You realize that the church is in a crisis right now in terms of people going, why do I even need to go to church? Right, like why not just stay at home if we can have online church? As a pastor, you need to answer that. You hearing me? And the answer is because you're a priest, dude. Because you have a job to do. Right? Like, being a part of the, of the team and joining the team that's part of your priesthood. Right? Like, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. What do priests do? They offer spiritual sacrifices, but what kind? Ones that, that are acceptable to God. Does that make sense? Right, so in Hebrews chapter 13, he's going, you know, and don't forget to you know, share what you have and do good, right? Because th that's, those are sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And then P Peter's going, yeah, because you're a priest, dummy. Like, you, you're on mission. The, the, re the reason why I come to church, okay, is to minister to the Lord Number one, what do priests do? They minister to the Lord and they minister to others. And so the reason why I come to church, the, the first and foremost reason is because I come to minister to the Lord. And I come to minister to others. And on top of that, and this is a, another message entirely, but one that we need to preach, is that there's a completely different experience in the presence of God in the corporate setting than there is at home. It's completely different. Yeah. 
God, sh- it, it hits different. God shows up completely differently in corporate settings. In fact, he shows off in the corporate setting in the Old Testament. Right? Like, the tongues of fire was at church. When you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's a, it's a radically different experience. What's happened, though, is it's all about us. And it, it's, it's without getting into, into the, I mean, since the Reformation. So, so, by the way, the priest of the believer is like a Reformation truth, right? Martin Luther was just like, yeah, you're not a priest. Everyone's a priest. You know what I'm saying? Because we have this super passive congregation who are ignorant of God's word and they don't realize that they're called to be the church, to build the church, right? And to, to, to be a priest, right? But beyond that, since the Reformation, we've had, we're in a crisis of authority. Um, how deep do I go? How far into the weeds do we get? Basically, um, if I could summarize it, I'll summarize it like this. There were abuses by traditional forms of authority. We became suspect of like kings, you know, priests, etc. We became suspect of them, and then, in the last you know hundred years, but specifically since the 1950s, since the postmodern movement, there's a lot of pressure on an individual to right now to know everything, because because the self has become the locus of authority. Right? Like the self is, it, it's all up to me. That's why everything's all about self-help, self-authenticization, self-authoring, self, you're hearing me. You have to be your best you because if you're not your best you, you won't know it's true. That is, that's the crisis of authority. So there's a, lot, there's a lot in that that I can unpack, but part of that is the, the Yelp, in addition to that is the Yelp review mentality where I go to church to be the best me. See, like we, we, we have a lot of Christian Buddhists. Right? The reason why they come to our church is, is right, it's, we, it's uh, therapeutic moral deism, right? Or it's people are coming to just get better. Okay? Instead of coming to worship God and minister to others. And then, and then never mind just the fact that we live in a capitalistic society, which isn't necessarily problematic. It's, it's, it's not perfect. Capitalism is not perfect. It's just a better solution probably than other ones. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you vote with your dollars, right? So you, you go to Denny's. Let's say we all go to Applebee's after today and we just destroy them, okay? Half ops. We're going crazy. <laughs> and, the, and the apps come out cold. And, and, and then the, you know, the, the waitress is, is, is mean to us or whatever. And so then we all go in our Yelp review and we light them up. Do you know what I mean? And we give them zero stars out of five stars, right? And that's how we think. We th- everywhere we go except for church, we think that way. And so that's, why, that's where people are at. So if we don't teach them that you're a priest when you come to church, they bring Yelp review in. And... and Right? And so then the entire experience is evaluated based on what was good for them. In addition to the crisis of authority, in addition to spiritualism, and th- does this make me better? Are you hearing me? So I think that, I think that, that the seeker model 
worked for a certain generation. I don't think it's work. I think it's working against the generation that we have right now. Like people, people want to know. They they need to know. And and kids are very very. People are generally selfish in general, but our our. I mean, gosh, millennials and Gen Zers. It's all about them. And so we need to show them, dude. There's a. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about him, and it's, it's him and his. It's him and his. Him and his. So they come into church, and, you know, they don't, we, we didn't sing good, good father, and so they're like zero, you know, zero. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> they think that this is the worship team, when they're the worship team. I will say this, I've been having extended conversations with my, some of my best friends who wrote the songs that we sang this morning. And I'm going, guys, look, do, I love Keith Green. Keith Green changed my life. Like, I want to, I need to be more like Jesus. But we don't sing Keith Green at church, and there's a reason. Right? Because it's like, it's devotional music. And people need to, like, we sing... We need, and we need to sing more worship songs that hallow God, that place him, you hearing me, that, that place him on the throne and go, God, I'm here to worship you. I'm here to magnify you. And so I'm having these conversations. I'm going, guys, like, I think that some of that culture has slipped into some of our songwriting and more importantly, our focus. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have devotional stuff because when you read the Psalms, most of it's devotional. There's, a, there's lament, that's good stuff, but in terms of the congregation setting, we need to disciple people right now into worshiping God. Just a conversation that I've been having. I, I like declarative songs, you know, I, I, I dig them. There's another in the fire, truly there is. You know, but like, but my generation needs to get their hands up and worship God, desperately. And they need to go, God, like you are good no matter what. God, you are, you are, you're holy, you're awesome, you're faithful, I worship you, almighty God, there is none like you, I worship you, oh Prince of Peace, you hearing me? <laughs> Give God the avocado toast. You know what I mean? So like, so why do I lift my hands? I lift my hands because it's what he likes. And I do, it, I do it because I'm hollowing him. So I'm going, Lord, I'm, I, I'm, I'm lifting my hands to you. You know, because it's what you like. It's because it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. Psalm 141, verse 2. It's a sacrifice that pleases your heart. For whatever reason, you're into it. I don't need to understand it. I just need to give it to you. I read this, this is embarrassing, but I read this, uh, I was in a, a pub uh, three weeks ago um, in Palm Springs where I live, which is why I'm wildly underdressed. <laughs> and um, and I, was, I was in the, the men's room and there was all these writings uh, on the wall 
And so I'm there, I'm using the bathroom, and there's this, this quote by Oscar Wilde. Who knew Oscar Wilde would be quoted in a church? And it says, women are not made to be understood, they're made to be loved. And I'm like, that is so good. That'll preach. You know, like we have all these kids just trying to understand God. And it's like, dude, dude, when you get married, you will not understand her. You just need to do two things. You need to find out what she likes and then just do it, bro. <laughs> That's worship. <laughs> you know? It's not that. It's, it's hard, right? All right, let's keep moving. This is, this is cool. Oh, geez. I got to move quick. My heart is steadfast. Oh, God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. It's such a weird verse. David's going, I'm going to worship you. And then he starts talking to himself. I'm going to wake my glory, right? Like typically the scriptures are, are talking about God's glory. Now he's talking about his glory. And then he talks about his glory. You know, I awake, oh, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. We know that David, so people have glory, right? Now all glories come from God, right? right? All, like all beauty has come from God. All beauty is transcendent. There's something beautiful. It's from the Lord um, in that, you know, in a, in a transcendent sense. Because he's the pre-existing one, right? So all glory, all, the Hebrew word is kabod, all kabod, we, we translate it as glory, but in Hebrew it means weight. Um, it's multifaceted. Uh, but David's saying, God, I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to worship you with my kabod. I'm going to stir up my kabod. I'm going to awaken my kabod in my worship. And so kabod, um, multifaceted, like I said. So let's say we're at a party and you walk in and I turn to the host and I'm like, who's that? And then the host is like, oh, that's George. He's a mechanic. He's amazing. He, make, he fixes things. He's brilliant. He's an amazing golfer, a great dad. And starts to talk about the things that you're known for, your weight. It's what you bring to a room. It's a reason why somebody will call you on the phone. It's a reason why somebody will seek your counsel, seek your advice. That's your kabod, okay? That's one, that's one um, part of it. Another part of your kabod, your weight, is your dialed inness and your spark. Um, it's essentially when you're present, it's when you turn up. There's this girl at our, uh, at our, in our offices in New York when I was working there. We were out maybe five, six years ago for a, Christ a staff Christmas party. And her kabod in the office was administration, right? Like that was her weight, that was her, like her, her power gift. And so we're out dancing and it's Christmas and we're, you know, we're, we're having a blast and she gets up. She's not the kind of person though that you look at and you go, she dances, does that make sense? <laughs> is what it is. So her song comes on. Her song comes on, right? It was like Usher or something, you know? And so she gets, she gets up and she starts to dance and it was the ugliest thing, but the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ever seen somebody who, they're, they're horrible at what they're doing, but their heart is in it and it's beautiful. That's Kabod. Um, kabod is, once again, it's, it's your dialed inness. It's um, one of the ways that I love my wife is by listening to her psychotic dreams. <laughs> she, uh, she always has these dreams and, and they're long and, and, you know, so she, and she loves to tell them to me. And, I, and <laughs> sometimes I'm in trouble in them, you know, like, like we'll, we'll wake up and she'll be already angry at me and I'll be like, you know, you, were, you didn't talk to me at a party last night in my dream. I'm like, I was sleeping, dude. <laughs> so we'll be driving down the, down the road, you know, maybe in the afternoon, and, and I'll, I'll know that she wants to tell me about her dream, you know, like, so, so you know, <laughs> tell, 
did you have any dreams last night? Of course, I know that, you know, yeah, you know, like, tell me. <laughs> so we'll be driving, and then she'll be like, you know, I was, I was in Jurassic Park, and I was being chased by a velociraptor. <laughs> yeah. What happened next? <laughs> and then a Tyrannosaurus came out of nowhere, you know, and, and then I'll be like, uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and then and Jasmine will be like, Nathan, where are you? You know. God is like a woman. He knows when you're not there. So in worship, God has preferences. Okay, Yod is one of his preferences. The reason why we lift our hands. So I, I'll, right, this is a message that I'm trying to share with young people. Dude, the reason why we do things in church, and they need this. They desperately need to know why we're doing what we're doing. Because God has preferences. He's into hands, and so you lift them. But by the way, you can lift your hands and your heart's not there. Right? And there's people will, that will have radically different experiences in God because they're, one person's doing the form, the other one's doing the form, but their heart's there. And God, they will experience the presence of God in a unique way that that other person won't. You know, God wants Yod, but he wants Kabod. Last verse, James 4. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then James gets into the Yod and Kabod language. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you Kabod. When you give God Yod with Kabod, you get God with Kabod. So when you give, when you, the sacrifices, right, when you give him the sacrifices, which he's asked for, the things that are acceptable to him, and, you know, you're leaning in. You know, so when I give God, there's certain things that are tied to my heart. That's why giving money is so important. Because it's not just a, it's a sacrifice that, that brings kabod. Which is why Paul's like, don't give under compulsion because God wants kabod. You know, he loves, why does he love a cheerful giver? Because your heart's in it, because your kabod's in it. You hearing me? Draw near to God and he will drink. So, so when I give God Yahweh kabod, I get God with Kabod. I have a radically different experience of God's glory. And James is saying this, like, like, yes, God is omnipresent, but his glory is not omnipresent. And that's what people don't understand. Yes, he's everywhere, but that's why we worship, because he shows up in a unique way when we're, where the grapes are, the wine is. So I worship the way that I worship because I need his glory in my life. And the Bible promises it. There's a principle in the Old Testament, and it's, it's really simple. God's faithful to show up where there's Yod and Kabod, and he's faithful to not show up where there's no Yod and Kabod. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. That is sick. <laughs> Kids need to know that. Right, like, so when I lift my hands and I'm giving him what he wants and there's a, there's a heart behind it, a life behind it. God, 
it's unrestrained. You have access, like in my relationship with my wife, she has access to my finances. She has access to everything. It's scary, but that's what a relationship is. <laughs> right? So there's something behind this. By the way, I'm giving you the hands because you, I'm, here's the avocado toast. I'm giving that to you, but I'm here, yeah. right? When I give my wife the avocado toast, and my dialed inness and my spark, I get my wife's glory. I get her kabod, so to speak. Hello. You hear me? How many Christians never experience God's glory? It's so sad. Because we didn't tell them that there's gonna be sacrifice in this thing. And that God still requires it. You're a priest. You want to experience the glory of God? You will. You can. Bring what he has asked for. And let, let God, you, you, here's access to my finances. And you know, and we can preach repentance all day long because that's the cool part about it. I can be imperfect in my leaning into the Lord, but I can always get back in. You know what I mean? Like, okay, babe, I'm back. I'm back. Where were you? I'm back. I'm sorry. Okay, what happened next? You know, like, you're hearing me. Yeah, I, 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 I want the glory of God in my life. Yeah, I, I definitely want that. I want to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your churches. I thank you for the people that we, we have the privilege to minister to. And God, I ask you that you would give us strategy to minister effectively to understand them to be able to answer the questions that they they have um, to not shy away as as kevin was saying earlier about certain things that we need to absolutely be clear on lord i ask you that people would fall in love with jesus in a fresh way that people would understand our mission that we exist to just waste things on jesus that's actually, that's good enough. It's good enough to be a Mary if that was all we were. That that would be good enough, God. And of course, we have a mission to, to do, and, and that's so important. Um, but God, I, I pray that we would get the, the things that we need to get right, right. And Lord, we, we ask you to forgive us. You know, if we've, if we've not been worshiping in the way that you want. You want us to have confidence, God, that like when we worship, you will show up. It's a, it's a promise. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. God, I pray that, that, that our churches would be bold in knowing that. Man, when you worship God this way, he's going to show up. Fire is coming from, from, from heaven to the altar. The people would get excited. I don't know where, but fire's coming. I don't know when, but I know that fire is coming from the altar because every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. God, I pray that we would return some magic to the church. That people, that it would, it would be magic, it should be magical. Your presence should be magical. People should expect fire from heaven. They should expect radical presence of God experiences. But oh, if they knew, Lord, if they knew what a relationship would look like. Wouldn't they just go wild? 
Thank you, Jesus, that you're patient and you're kind. Father, let us return to a heart of worship where it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.